The reality for trafficking in the United States is that two things have to happen. Traffickers have to be willing to exploit people, and community members have to be willing to look the other way. And unfortunately, right now, we're really upholding our end of that bargain. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. And this is Craig Williams, a short 3,000 miles away in beautiful Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. I have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob? And I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. And we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, Clio, a web-based practice management program for lawyers at goclio.com, and Firm Manager by LexisNexis at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Craig, at a recent international conference in Vienna, the worldwide problem of human trafficking took center stage. The United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime revealed that as many as 2.4 million people may be victims of human trafficking worldwide at any given time. And just this week in Little Rock, Arkansas, Attorney General Eric Holder spoke out against human trafficking, saying, quote, in this country and under this administration, human trafficking will not be tolerated. According to the Polaris Project website, uh, a project devoted to, to fighting uh, human trafficking and human slavery, uh, human trafficking is defined as a form of modern-day slavery where people profit from the control and exploitation of others. And is defined under United States federal law, victims of human trafficking include children involved in the sex trade, adults 18 or over who are coerced or deceived into commercial sex acts, and anyone forced into different forms of labor or services, such as domestic workers held in a home or farm workers forced to labor against their will. This situation is not only a worldwide issue, it also happens in small towns across the United States. So what's being done and how can we combat this modern-day slavery? Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at the legal issues surrounding human trafficking, raising awareness and legislation, all aimed at eliminating human trafficking. And we have a really a great lineup of three different guests today to help us discuss this topic. Uh, let me start by introducing the first of them. Uh, she is Professor Bridget Carr from the University of Michigan Law School. Uh, Professor Carr directs the Human Trafficking Clinic there. She oversees a $300,000 grant from the U.S. Department of State to, to launch a human trafficking clinic in Mexico. Uh, in 2011, the human trafficking clinic launched the nation's only comprehensive online database of human trafficking cases. So we'd like to welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, uh, Professor Bridget Carr. Thank you for having me. And Bob, our next guest is attorney Ann Johnson. She's out of Houston, Texas, who proudly advocates for the protection of victims, both criminal and civil wrongs. She is a former Harris County assistant district attorney and has made statewide headlines after winning a landmark case before the Texas Supreme Court. That case sought enforcement of existing state law to protect children of sexual exploitation and to fight human trafficking. Ann is presently running for state representative from District 134. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Ann. Thank you for having me. 
Finally, we have Mary C. Ellison. Uh, Mary C. Ellison is Director of Policy for the Polaris Project, a, a project committed to combating human trafficking and modern-day slavery. Uh, in addition to uh, her years as a human rights lawyer, uh, Ms. Ellison brings more than 10 years of experience as a manager, fundraiser, trainer, and technical consultant uh, to her work at Polaris Project. Uh, at the Polaris Project, she leads the work to advance state and federal policy related to the crime of human trafficking, creating protections for victims while seeking accountability for human traffickers and others who contribute to human trafficking. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Mary Ellison. Thank you very much. Well, Bridget, let's get the program started and, and let's turn to you first. Uh, at the top of the show, we mentioned 2.4 million people may be victims of human trafficking worldwide. Can you give us a brief overview of what constitutes human trafficking and how big of a problem we're really looking at? Sure. Human trafficking, um, known as modern-day slavery, is nothing more and nothing less than when individuals are compelled into service. And we see that in restaurants, in hair braiding salons, in hotels, um, in the commercial sex industry. And while the number 2.4 million, uh, I think, is something we should pay attention to, we have to acknowledge that the reality is we aren't identifying very many victims. And so that number probably underestimates the reality of human trafficking worldwide. And we know for sure that we're not identifying people in the United States. And from our work here in the clinic, we're finding victims in small towns, big cities, farming communities. There's no community we've found that, ha that hasn't been impacted by human trafficking. Why, why is this so prevalent? Profit. Uh, it is an extremely profitable business to be a human trafficker. It is quite low risk. Very few of them are caught. And when you combine an opportunity to profit without much risk, it becomes a business that attracts a lot of people. Uh, the reality for trafficking in the United States is that two things have to happen. Traffickers have to be willing to exploit people, and community members have to be willing to look the other way. And unfortunately, right now, we're really upholding our end of that bargain. Uh, Mary, just to uh, bring you into the conversation, uh, tell us a little bit about the Polaris Project and, and, and how it fits into this topic. Great. Well, the Polaris Project uh, was founded in 2002, and we were named after the North Star um, because the North Star was used by slaves during uh, the slavery era in our country um, to find freedom. It was, it helped them to know, um, where to go. And so we named ourselves after the North Star. And essentially what we're doing is, uh, we take a comprehensive approach to modern day slavery and human trafficking by doing the following things. We provide comprehensive, uh, social services to survivors of human trafficking, and that includes both labor trafficking and sex trafficking. It includes foreign nationals and U.S. citizens. We also operate the National Human Trafficking Resource Center, which is a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week uh, hotline, which connects professionals, uh, victims of human trafficking, and community members to the information and services that they need. Uh, the third part of our comprehensive uh, approach is that we are a central hub for trafficking legislative expertise, and we advance both state and federal laws. Right now, we're working in approximately 17 states to help pass human trafficking laws, as well as in the U.S. Congress. And then finally, we provide training 
to law enforcement, to hotel workers, to service providers, uh, to criminal justice professionals and others to um, learn more about human trafficking and promising practices and strategies to address it. And Anne, uh, back in 2007, you took on the case of a 13-year-old runaway girl living with a 32-year-old man who was charged with prostitution in juvenile court. Tell us about the case and, and the outcome and how it impacted Texas law. Well, it was an honor to represent this child and the impact that her case would have on protecting children, not only in Texas, but nationwide. Because in getting this case to the Texas Supreme Court, they issued a landmark decision that protects child victims of sexual exploitation and potentially human trafficking. Um, The child was charged in a juvenile court with prostitution. And so that was kind of the question that was raised or brought to the court, which was, was it appropriate to prosecute a 13-year-old child for consenting to sex for a fee with an adult when, in contrast, there were existing statutes that protected children uh, by saying that children cannot consent to sex with an adult. And so that was the issue that the Texas Supreme Court was looking at in making this conclusion that, you know, that was not the intent of the legislature to have the child prosecuted. And it was this question of, upon having law enforcement discover these child victims, are we to place them on a prosecution train where they are treated as an offender, or are we to place them on a protection train through the family code where they are treated as a victim? And I'm proud to say that the court ruled in the child's favor, creating that distinction and making sure that they are identified as victims. Well, I, I've been uh, listening to these uh, kind of opening comments from you, and, and I guess the, the thought that first comes to mind as, as I'm listening to the, the work that you're presently doing in the courts and in the legislatures is, I mean, don't, aren't our laws clear on this? I mean, why are we talking about legislation, about court decisions, about human slavery, about human traffic uh, in, in the 21st century? What is the state of the law on this issue, Bridget? Let me turn that to you. I mean, I mean, I wish, I wish it was as simple as making uh, our laws clear. I think that where we are right now is that we really need a paradigm shift and we need to stop treating uh, people who are selling sex as criminals and treat those who are victimized as victims. And I mean, the story that Anne shared um, is hitting me today because I've spent a a huge amount of time over the past month trying to help a 14-year-old found in Michigan recently who was being sold for sex. In the state of Michigan, our law is very clear. Under the age of 16, you can't be charged with prostitution. So you would think that in this era of knowledge about human trafficking combined with a very clear law, that that child would be treated as a victim. Instead, that child was charged with possession of tobacco by a minor and was put in detention and treated as as a juvenile offender. And so, you know, we can write wonderful laws, but until we undergo the paradigm shift that's necessary to truly recognize victims of human trafficking, whether they're in the sex industry or their foreign nationals being exploited for labor, uh, we're, we're not going to have the victim-centered approach that we, that we have to have. And let's let's get down to the to how this happens in the first place. Uh, maybe Mary can describe how do children and and other people get caught up in uh, sex trafficking or in slavery, and then how do they stay in it? And why don't they walk away from it? Uh, there's a you know kind of Give us how the, how the whole situation actually works. Sure. I mean, I think the dynamic is that 
you know, essentially you've got a population that is either vulnerable or at risk in some way. Um, it may be somebody who is is a child. Um, it may be somebody who is looking for a, a better life, a way out of the life that they're in. Um, it could be, you know, it could be someone like a, one of our callers uh, who is a man from Colombia who is looking to provide um, provide for his aging parents. And when some labor recruiters came to him, his town and offered him a great job in the United States, he jumped at the chance. Or it could be a young girl who's running away from a home situation that uh, feels uh, abusive to her. Um, some children are running away from sexual abuse that they've endured in the home or or from a neighbor. Um, and so they're looking for something and, and looking for a way out of a situation, looking for a better life. And traffickers know that, and they prey upon these vulnerable individuals, and they promise things. They promise uh, great jobs. They promise education. We have worked with somebody who uh, basically was a young woman um, under 18 who was promised a great life and education by her aunt and uncle who were living in the United States. And essentially, once she got to the United States, uh, she was enslaved in their home. She wasn't allowed to go to school. She was made to work all day long, every day. Um, and those are the kind of situations we see. So it's some type of vulnerability combined with the fact that traffickers are looking for a way to make money. They're looking for a way to profit. And as Bridget said, is a high-profit, low-risk industry. And what about the, the situation down there in, in Texas, where you are? Uh, my understanding is that Texas is... is one of the busiest routes for for actually trafficking humans, yet yet Texas has been uh, active in, in trying to combat that problem. I mean, do you, what, what's your perspective on, on what's happening there in Texas? You know, Houston has been identified as one of the hubs of human trafficking, and you can see that this particular case started back in 2007, and there's been a great deal of work and progress that has been made since that time. Uh, there have been new laws put in place to try to add to what was already existing for the protection of children and to punish those pimps or people that would go after adults and children. There are also other developments that are happening. I'm proud to say here in Harris County, there's a new court that's put in place. Um, that The acronym is the Girls Court, but it's a Growing Independence and Restoring Lives Court that is specifically set up for these children that may be coming into the system with these kind of identifiers that have been described as child victims of abuse in the past or this common theme of them being a runaway or on the street that's being put in place to try to develop resources, uh, not only within the community, but for these children to try to help them so that they are not remaining or being brought into the criminal justice system. Um, so there are a lot of efforts that are taking place. Um, there are a lot of people that are getting involved in this conversation and this court, for example, is a great step, and it's a great first step, but there are a lot of people trying to make sure that there's a commitment so that they can realize their full potential, as well as other resources in the community to help curb this problem. And Bridget, what should we be doing as individuals and communities? How do we spot this kind of thing, and who do we turn it into if we spot it or suspect it? Well, I think one of the first things is to is to understand what, what human trafficking, you know, some myths that, that aren't true about human trafficking. It doesn't require movement, so you don't have to only be looking for foreign nationals. It happens to U.S. citizens. 
Uh, it's not true that all prostitutes are criminals. The uh, amount of violence and force in the commercial sex industry is very high. And so we have to start asking our lawmakers, our local police, to really look beneath the surface of things that are going on, to ask the extra questions about why someone is working for low or no pay, to not just treat them as an undocumented uh, alien, to ask the questions about why someone is, is selling sex. And then we have to take a hard line in the sand and say, it is unacceptable, unacceptable to treat victims as criminals. And they cannot be forced to be tools of prosecutions, that we need to treat them as victims the way we treat victims in, in every other um, uh, prosecution that we do. And so the best thing you can do if you suspect it or, or you want more information is to call the National Human Trafficking Hotline that's run by the Polaris Project. Uh, the number is one 888 It's not just a hotline for if you suspect a victim. If you suspect there's a victim, call it. But it's also um, a wonderful resource for information. I call it frequently myself. They know me by name uh, when I call. And so I just encourage people to use that fantastic resource that we have. And, and Mary, what should we be looking for? What are the signs or red flags that someone is being trafficked? Well, there are a lot of signs. And so definitely looking for individuals that don't seem to be free to come and go um, as they wish, whether it's from a house or from uh, an employment situation. Um, also looking into, you know, anyone that has a pimp uh, in the commercial sex industry, that is definitely a red flag. Um, someone that is paid very little or paid only through tips or isn't paid at all, that works excessively long or unusual hours. Uh, someone who has a debt that they're unable to pay off uh, because the trafficker is, is continuing to add on to that debt. Um, and also people who have been um, recruited through false promises about the nature um, of the work that they're going to be doing, as well as the conditions of the work. Um, so those are all the things we definitely need to keep an eye out for. Can I, can I just add one really great, great question? This is Bridget Carr again. Um, is for people, don't just ask, what is your address? If, especially for law enforcement, ask, how would you get home from here? Often traffickers tell their victims an address to use if they encounter law enforcement, but most of my clients in the human trafficking clinic could not have provided the information on how to get home. Uh, so they had an address, but they didn't actually have an understanding of where they lived. I, I, I've heard you uh, make reference to both sex trafficking and, and labor trafficking, and I, I guess in, in the field of labor trafficking, I mean, I, I you know, my uh, perhaps stereotypical image of this is sort of the exploited uh, Chinese restaurant worker or sweatshop worker. I mean, hey, help me understand where where is labor trafficking happening in the United States, and where where should where could people be looking for it? Where should people expect to perhaps run across it? One of the things that we see here in Washington, D.C., and, and I'm sure Bridget can, and Anne can give other examples as well, but um, one of the things that we see here in Washington, D.C. that is particularly troubling is the fact that um, there are cases of diplomats here in D.C. that are uh, exploiting and enslaving domestic workers in their households. Um, so, you know, that is something that is very distressing. And essentially what, what happens in those cases is that um, the diplomat may even bring a worker over on a, on a diplomatic visa 
And then that person is supposed to be working in their household, taking care of children, taking care of the household, et cetera. And we have had a number of calls to the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline about those particular types of cases. So they're, in essence, they're domestic servants in, in households. And that is a very common form of labor trafficking. In fact, uh, in terms of the types of labor trafficking reported to the National Human Trafficking Resource Center, that is the main type or the leading type, not, not the only, but definitely the leading type. Here in the Human Trafficking Clinic, we have cases of carnival workers, migrant farm workers, the domestic servitude cases that Mar- that Mary is talking about, uh, restaurant workers. Uh, so really, you could categorize it as seasonal workers and, and the service industry that, that, that we see a number of cases in. Well, it's time for us to take a short break. We will have much more on human trafficking when we return. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, I, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than, in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. If you're like many solo and small firm attorneys, it can be challenging to manage both your practice and give your clients the attention they need. Well, now you can do it all free for 30 days with LexisNexis Firm Manager. Built from the ground up for attorneys like you, it's an easy way to get organized, master your business, and keep your clients happy. Firm Manager is secure, web-based, and mobile, so you can manage your practice anytime, anywhere, from your laptop, smartphone, iPad, or tablet. No IT hassles, no long-term commitments, and best of all, no more worries about what needs to be done. Get your free 30-day trial of LexisNexis Firm Manager today at firmmanager.com slash LTN. That's firmmanager.com slash LTN. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com.
Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Our guests today are Professor Bridget Carr from the University of Michigan Law School, Houston attorney Ann Johnson, and Mary Ellison, director of policy for the Polaris Project. Uh, and, and Mary, I wanted to ask you, uh, in your role as director of policy, I, I know that uh, uh, here in Massachusetts uh, there's a uh, Fairly new uh, trafficking legislation on the books. I think it's a, a couple of years old at this point. Uh, what what are you doing from a, a policy point of view? What are you asking the states or or Congress to do from a policy point of view to address this issue? Right. We are asking states to enact comprehensive uh, human trafficking legislation. And what we mean by that is that states should enact criminal laws to obviously allow the prosecutors to, uh, you know, uh, hold traffickers accountable. We're asking them to look at creating human trafficking task forces to make sure all of the criminal justice system professionals are trained to make sure that human trafficking victims have access to civil damages and can receive assistance from any victim assistance programs and funds in the states, as well as doing things like using asset forfeiture laws to take away the assets and profits that traffickers make and to instead direct those into these victim services funds. So, you know, there are many states that have started to uh, make a make a good effort to enact these types of laws. Every year, Polaris Project comes out with an annual state ratings where we look at 12 different types of laws across all 50 states, and we, we publish that in early August each year. So we are coming up on our 2012 annual state ratings. Uh, in addition to that, we work in Congress to help uh, pass uh, legislation to address human trafficking on the federal level. Right now, um, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act is up for reauthorization. It technically expired last September 30th of 2011, and so we are overdue to, to reauthorize that legislation. It is the uh, premier legislation on human trafficking for the United States and created the three P's paradigm, which is prosecution, protection, and prevention. There's a, a number of other really uh, fantastic pieces of legislation moving through Congress. One has to do with supply chain transparency to ensure that businesses understand um, and, and are more transparent and uh, communicate what they know about the materials that go into their products. So, for example, if a company is making T-shirts, that they would be transparent about the cotton that they're using. We know that cotton is one of the raw materials on the Department of Labor's list of goods that is um, harvested with child and forced labor. And so companies need to become more conscious of what is in their supply chains. There's also a bill moving through Congress that has to do with um, government contracting um, and making sure that we as the United States government, which is an uh, enormous purchaser of goods and services around the world, um, don't purchase goods or services that do have a taint of human trafficking or modern-day slavery in them, as, long as, uh, as well as a number of other pieces of legislation. 
And could you walk us through a, a typical case of human trafficking, say, for someone that is identified as, as a victim, either as a sex slave or as a labor slave, and then what happens in the prosecution to the person that has enslaved them, and what kind of fines and penalties we see? Well, you know, that was part of the issue with this particular case, um, was whether or not there was uh, an investigation being done to identify a potential pimp. Um, and I think that that draws the distinction between or the need, um, as has been mentioned, for law enforcement to be involved in this process. Um, for example, in this case, this was a 13-year-old child that was on the streets at 1030 on a Tuesday morning agreeing to an undercover officer for sex for a fee. You know, that should have been a red flag that set in motion, you know, an entire different process, not just prosecuting the child or simply saying, here, we've prosecuted this child, and by doing it, we've solved this problem. You know, as the other speakers have mentioned, there are so many other aspects to this as far as human trafficking or pimping or those that are gaining a profit that at the time was not being looked into. And so that's part of the need that it still exists, you know, especially for attorneys. And as an attorney that often represents children, you know, this case sets out a good example and as was mentioned by Bridget, you may have a child that comes into the system for tobacco or possession of marijuana or failing to ID or give identification to an officer. And then once they come into the system, there needs to be something set up to help identify them or see if they truly are a victim rather than an offender. Um, there is good work that's being put in place, and there are laws that are put in place for traffickers. And there have been increased penalties, and those ranges can go as high as a first-degree felony in Texas on continuous abuse, um, where you would have a punishment of 25 years to 99 or life. And so there are plenty of options. There are plenty of tools um, to try to enforce. It's just making sure that all the right pieces of the system are working together to solve this issue. Bridget, what about uh, you at the at the trafficking clinic that you're working with? Is there... Uh... Is there a story there that that gives you gives you hope uh, that 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 illustrates uh, the best of what your kind of work can do? Yes. So after the 14 year old was charged with possession of tobacco, the chief of police of the department where that happened called us in the next week to do a training. And one, that's really wonderful, right? To recognize that when you know better, you do better. Uh, and so we went in and we did the training and we said, you know what? We want you to try these cases in a different way. Just try it once. Try calling us once rather than just locking these people up. And that very night at 1045 at night, I got a call on my cell phone. They had found a 23-year-old girl, adult woman who was being sold for sex. And she said that her pimp was forcing her to do it. They called me in. We negotiated a deal. And instead of charging her, there's now a federal investigation into the pimp. So I think there is a, there's a lot of hope out there that when people know better, they can do better. And that didn't require passage of a new law. It just required people willing to try a paradigm shift, to try something different and to treat victims as victims. That's fantastic. Bridget, you, you have a $300,000 grant from the U.S. Department of State. Tell us what you're doing in Mexico. 
It's a wonderful project. We uh, were given this money by the Department of State to try to see if the work that we're doing here in the human trafficking clinic using law students to provide free services for victims of human trafficking could be replicated in a foreign context. And so we're working with a law school in Mexico City to try to help them build a human trafficking clinic at their law school that can provide the types of services that we provide. It's been up and running since August. It's done some amazing trainings and other work. You know, there they face some organized crime issues that we do not face here in the United States. I think the long-term hope is to try to use law schools worldwide to help combat uh, human trafficking. One other quick question. I, I know we're getting we're getting close, low on time, but I, what, just, Bridget, maybe you can take this or, or, uh, or Ian, if you like, but how do you deal with the, the fear factor in these, in these victims? I mean, it, that's got to be a real obstacle for you as advocates to get around the fact that they are afraid of, of their pimps or afraid of being sent back to whatever country they came from or whatever else. How, how, do, you, how do you address that issue? The fear is real. And when our system reinforces what, you know, the, bad, the bad things that traffickers say to ha- will happen to them, that fear is only exacerbated, whether that's jail or deportation. Unfortunately, <laughs> what I usually have to say to the clients is, this is your only option. Right? If you want the immigration relief, it's tied to your cooperation. For a child or an adult who's a U.S. citizen, it's jail or cooperation lots of times. What I try to do is soften the blow by saying that we are here to be your advocate and we will do everything we can to, to make sure that your rights and interests are respected. But right now, the answer is it's often their only alternative. Well, we just about reached the end of our program and it's time to wrap up and get your final thoughts. So, Anne, if we can turn to you first, we'd like to get your final thoughts along with your contact information so our listeners can reach out to you if they'd like to contact you. Certainly. I'm Ann Johnson with the Johnson Law Firm in Houston, Texas. And, you know, I'm proud to say that working in this area with this case, working with the new court in Harris County, the girls' court, that there are efforts being made. And there are a lot of people looking at trying to solve this very complex social issue and protect these children. And so I think this is the beginning of a wave that is out there to protect children and to make sure that there is a focus in this priority in making sure that they have the services that are needed to not only protect them but help them um, become independent and be successful members of the community. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of that, and it's good work that hopefully other people in the nation will see what's happening here in Texas and use it as a resource to work in their own state laws and with their own courts and juvenile courts. And I would also, for the attorneys or people that are looking at this issue and want to be able to use this case as a resource and a guideline for what they can do in their states, that um, Texas Supreme Court opinions at 313 Southwest 3rd, 818. And it was issued in uh, 2010. And Bridget? Well, I would just like to say that, you know, all lawyers went to a law school, and so I would encourage uh, lawyers to contact their law schools, to encourage them to open human trafficking clinics. If you're in a community where a law school is based, reach out to the law students there. There's a lot of resources available within law schools to combat this issue. We here at the University of Michigan Human Trafficking Clinic are always available to support those types of en- endeavors, and you can learn more about our program at www.law.umich.edu. Great. Thank you. And Mary? Well, I would just like to say that, you know, I think there is hope. And I think Bridget and Anne have told some great stories about how there is hope and there are things that people can do. And I think first and foremost, we need, all of us need to open our eyes 
And we need to try to seize these individuals who are really vulnerable and are at risk in our communities and to step up and step in and help them find the freedom they need. Everyone can call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline. And again, that number is 888-3737-888. And we're standing by 24 hours a day, seven days a week to take your calls. We're there to help direct human trafficking victims to the services they need. We're there to help community members who want to report on human trafficking they think might be going on in their own communities and to make sure that we can get someone to respond to that case. And and finally, we need to all do better as individuals, uh, as consumers. We are a consumer society, and whether we are consuming T-shirts made from the kind of cotton that I mentioned earlier that is produced by child or forced labor, or whether we are consuming uh, commercial sex from trafficked women, uh, men, boys, and girls, we need to be responsible, and we need to step up and take do our part to help end human trafficking and modern-day slavery. Great. And thank you all very much for being on the show today. It's a very interesting topic, a frightening topic, and one that uh, obviously we need to get a little bit more up to speed on and be more aware of in the country and and uh, kind of work together to get it enforced. Bob, your thoughts? Well, yeah, let me f- add my thanks to uh, all three guests for being with us. I, I, I was struck by uh, what Mary just said. Uh, I wonder how many uh, people kind of turn a, turn a blind eye to uh, something that they should be more aware of. Uh, and uh, perhaps uh, we as lawyers have a particular responsibility to at least be paying attention to what's going on in our communities. Uh, and uh, and then, as, as Bridget said, uh, maybe, uh, you know, advocate for our local law schools and bar associations or whatever else to, to get more involved in educating uh, and advocating on this issue. Certainly something that we need more help on. And uh, these Three ladies are doing a fine job and very much appreciate uh, Mary and Bridget and Anne's work on uh, on behalf of the people that are victims in, in this trade and uh, commend all three of you for your fine work and uh, bringing this to the forefront so that we all get to hear about it and can do something about it to stop this problem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Bob, we'd like to remind our listeners that they can now get CLE credit through the West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. You can go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center. You can also find all Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes. We have a brand new Android app where you can access all Legal Talk Network shows on your phone. And we hope to have an iPhone app shortly. And you can check it out going to LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. We'll see you next week. See you next week. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.